A reading from Matthew. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. A few months ago, I heard the phrase cancel culture for the first time. Maybe you've heard it too. It's based on this idea of of canceling people by seeking to take away their platforms or their job, or canceling companies by, by boycotting them or withdrawing your support because they've said or done something offensive or wrong or even something you disagree with. And over these last few months, this phrase cancel culture has somehow become another political battleground to the point where whether you support it or oppose it, whether you think it's the enemy of civil society or or don't think it even exists, is now somehow a partisan political statement, which is part of the problem. Look, I think it's good for our society to figure out shared definitions of what's acceptable and what's offensive. And it's good for us to think about how violations of those shared values should be treated and and what consequences they should carry. Though, to be honest, I really doubt that the internet is the best place for that to happen. But it seems obvious to me that as a culture, we're losing our capacity to disagree well. Every day, we hear dehumanizing language used to refer to those who disagree or or have a different point of view. Every day, we see people simply dismiss others who disagree, ignore them, write them off, even, even vilify them. Every day, it's clear that listening to others with whom we disagree is becoming less common and, and sometimes It's even seen as weakness. And this is true for people from every part of the political spectrum. And and if we're honest, we even see some of these tendencies in ourselves. In our gospel reading this morning, Jesus said some of the most well-known words in the Bible. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. But I think he just as easily could have said, where two or three are gathered anywhere, disagreements will be among them. Because it's true, conflict and disagreement are simply part of human relationships. If you spend enough time around people, even even people that you really love, eventually 
they're going to do or say something that, that hurts or angers you, and you're going to do the same to them. See, after I graduated from college, my grandparents invited me to bring a friend along and spend a month with them in an RV touring national parks out west. It was an amazing trip. But after four weeks of all of us living in an RV together, four weeks of all of us living in an RV together, I was starting to question whether like some felony types of behavior might be justifiable in a court of law. It is still a mystery to me why my grandfather had to play country music every morning at 6 a.m., which drove me crazy both because it was country music and because it was 6 a.m. It is true that if you spend enough time with people, you spend enough time in a community, at some point you'll be hurt, angry, frustrated. And since the church is made up of people, it is inevitable that we will have disagreements and conflict, that we will hurt, anger, and frustrate one another. But as one theologian put it, what makes us Christian is not whether or not we fight, disagree, or wound one another, but rather how we go about addressing and resolving it when we do. That's what our gospel reading from Matthew is all about today. How to resolve conflict and disagreements. And there are two broad ways to understand this passage. We can understand it as a step-by-step instruction manual for the church to discipline and even excommunicate people. Or we can read these words and hear an invitation to a whole way of life that values and seeks reconciliation. Reconciliation means to bring something back into agreement or harmony. Like like at the end of the month, some of you reconcile your checkbook with your bank statement, right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. Just ask somebody who's older. You take your records and you take the bank's records and at the end of the month, if there are any discrepancies, you work to uncover the issue, to find and correct the problem and to reconcile the two. That's what reconciliation is. It's fixing the problem so that things can be brought back into harmony. It's bringing things back into wholeness. It's bringing broken things back together. And that's the point of these instructions in our reading. The goal is reconciliation. And please know Jesus is not talking about situations of abuse or where you face harm. And if that's the case, please reach out for help. Instead, Jesus is talking about times when when you have conflict with someone, real disagreement, when you've been hurt or you've done the hurting, whenever something between you and someone else is broken. And he says that if our goal is to reconcile with them, then our first step is to talk to them and to listen to them. Not to talk about them to someone else, 
but to talk to them. So if someone comes up to us upset about someone else, what they've done or what they've said, if helping people to reconcile is our goal, then we should encourage them to speak to that person directly. Or if someone complains about me, a decision I've made or, or something I said, I think a good response is, well, it's probably Pastor Dan's fault. <laughs> But after that, then you should encourage them to come and speak to me themselves. Reconciliation rarely happens and broken things rarely get fixed if things are simply swept under the rug or left unaddressed or ignored. When we're upset or hurt by somebody, we have a choice to make. We can hang on to it and maybe it goes away and maybe it doesn't and maybe any chance for a good relationship with that person disappears. Or we can address it. We can talk with that person and share our hurts and frustration and work to heal what's broken. And of course, it's easier to respond the first way to hang on to something, to try to ignore it, even while it might be eating away at us. And I know that the idea of talking to someone about the hurt or pain they've caused is difficult, that even the idea of approaching someone to deal with conflict and to reconcile is scary, but it is worth it. As a pastor and as a person, I've had a lot of these conversations and I have found that they are almost never as bad as what I'm picturing in my mind. Almost always when someone who is hurt or upset simply goes and speaks to the person directly about it, something holy happens. There's a sharing and an intimacy that occurs. Most of the times we don't even realize when we've hurt someone. And when we find out, most of us are apologetic and we do everything we can to heal what's been broken. And in that process, stronger relationships are formed. Stronger community is built. That is holy. And the risks of not seeking reconciliation, well, I'm convinced they're just too great. Because when conflict and disagreements aren't addressed, they take a toll on us and on other people. They lead far too easily to division and to bitterness, especially within churches. My own heart was broken this year when my home church, the place where I grew up, was torn apart by divisions and conflict that, that weren't addressed openly for far too long. The most common image in the Bible used to describe the church is a body where every part is working together, pulling in the same direction, sharing in a common mission to love God and, and share the gospel and serve people And we can't do that if we're divided. We need each other. And as a community, we all share this responsibility to seek healing and reconciliation whenever something is broken. 
Reconciliation is a bold venture of love, but, but we must dare it. As we look at our country, at the racial injustice and inequity that has brought so many people into the public square to lift up their voices for change, what we're seeing is a desperate cry for reconciliation. We're seeing what happens when generations of people cry out for reconciliation, for broken things to be fixed and made right. We're seeing what happens when those cries are ignored and reconciliation doesn't occur. There is real brokenness in need of repair. And for reconciliation to occur in our country, it will mean repentance and it will mean change in the same way that reconciliation with my wife after I've hurt her calls for my heart to be repentant and for my actions to change. Reconciliation is a bold venture of love, but we must dare it. It's It's far too easy to cancel one another and far too costly. And so God calls us to love each other too much to do so. We're called to be people who seek reconciliation. That doesn't mean it will be easy. That doesn't mean we'll agree on anything. It doesn't mean all our problems and conflict will just magically go away. But being people who seek after reconciliation means committing ourselves to not letting the disagreement, the conflict, the problem, to not let the brokenness get the last word or to give it the power to define our relationships, but to instead keep working towards reconciliation. Because thanks be to God, This is the commitment that God has made to us. Christians take reconciliation seriously because we follow a God who takes reconciliation seriously. Though we are sinful, though we hurt ourselves and others, though we are broken, these are not the things that define our relationship with God, but rather grace and mercy and reconciliation. This is why Jesus came to earth. The Bible says that in Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. This is the heart of our faith, that through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we are reconciled to God, the the sin that separated us from God, the brokenness that mars our relationship with God, that has been overcome through Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are reconciled and brought back into harmony with God. Because of Jesus, what was broken has been and is being and will be healed. And through Jesus, we are meant to work to heal all those things which have been broken until all things are reconciled and made whole. For Jesus came to heal and to fix and to reconcile this entire world. So may it be so among us and may it be so through us. Amen.